1: You are Locked on Packers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is the Friday of Super Bowl week. We have Eagles, Patriots coming up on Super Bowl Sunday, and I have a really special treat for you guys at the end of the show I'm going to bring you a preview of the game from the guys at Locked On Eagles and Locked On Patriots. They did a, a crossover show, and I, I don't think you'll find a better discussion uh, from two sides than than this show. And so, I wanted to bring you this is two snippets about critical pieces of this game. Um, one of the things that I talk about all the time with you is that I want you to have an idea of what you're going to see. And I want you to learn something, and that's that's the fun of being a fan. It's the fun of covering this game. Is is I learn something new every day watching the sport, looking into it, watching tape, looking at stats, talking to people. And so I want to bring that to you as best that I can. And these are teams that that most Packer fans they watch in prime time, but they don't have intimate knowledge of you know who the dime linebacker is for the Philadelphia Eagles or, you know, the, the intricacies of the strengths and weaknesses of the New England Patriots. So to be able to bring you this preview so that you have a better idea of what the keys to the game are going to be on Sunday, I think is is really helpful. It will make watching the game more enjoyable, I think. And you'll if they're wrong, you'll get to say, well, the game didn't play out the way that we thought, but that's probably going to be true given what they talk about, that if those things are not keys because they talk about two keys, one for each team, then the game will have played out in a way that I don't think anyone will have predicted. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. Before we do, there was one little piece of news that became a big piece of news this week, and that was Aaron Rodgers going on the Golick and Wingo show to express his discontent at the way Alex Van Pelt was dismissed from the organization and and he didn't go on with the express written purpose of doing that but he was prompted and i found that interesting um you know we'll get to the comments in just a second but when trey wingo introed the question he said you feel that there are some curious moves happening in the off season with the coaching staff and to my knowledge, Aaron Rodgers hasn't made any statements publicly about those changes. He hasn't used the word curious. So, where did this question come from? Well, the question came from a pre-interview or some sort of conversation that was had with Rodgers. Rodgers wanted to say something about the quarterback situation. That is that's just that's how this works. That's how the media works. There's no reason Wingo would have prompted him to make these comments in the way that he did. He could have just said, you know what, some things happened. How did you feel about it? But he didn't. And Wingo is is a pro. He is a veteran. He's been doing this long enough that he's going to ask that question a certain way based on information that he has. So either someone told him Rogers is not happy about this or Rogers himself said, I'm not happy about this beforehand so that this question would be asked. Or he just was sloppy in the wording of his question. I just don't believe that's true. And what Rogers said was he called it interesting, which, as we all know, is the Midwestern nice way of saying, I don't like it. I'm being polite, but I don't like it. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that anyone who's ever been in a relationship knows that Their partner at a certain point will say, it's interesting that you do X when you don't do X. And it's really another way of saying, it's annoying that you do this. (laughs) They use the word interesting because they don't want to be confrontational. And of course, Rogers doesn't want to seem confrontational in the media. He doesn't want to be confrontational with his team, but he would like to express his discontent. And he says specifically that he wasn't consulted. He felt like he should have been told. And what I wish had happened, and I wrote this in the write-up on Acme Packing Company, that I wish that either Mike Golick or Trey Wingo had followed up and said, have you talked to Van Pelt since this move happened? And the reason I think that's a, that's a, a valuable and important question is Mike McCarthy, in explaining the decision for the Packers to move on from Van Pelt, made it seem like this was a mutual decision. And if it's mutual, then Rodgers shouldn't be upset that Van Pelt was dismissed because, according to McCarthy, he wasn't dismissed. He was allowed to leave. Now, Van Pelt left to become a quarterback's coach, not an offensive coordinator, not a hedge coach. And that, I would say, runs counter to McCarthy's spin, if that's what you want to call it. And I would assume that Rogers and Van Pelt were close enough that Rogers would have reached out, but I would have liked to have had that question asked so that Rogers could say, "Yes, I talked to him," and he wasn't happy about it either, because then that would entirely undercut what Mike McCarthy is saying about what's going on. So it's just it, it, it is interesting, but not in the way that Rogers said. It's it is it's it's suboptimal. To have your franchise quarterback upset at losing his quarterback's coach. Now at the same time, here's what I think the Packers owe Rodgers when it comes to making a move like this. Mike McCarthy calls Aaron and says, hey, we're thinking about making this move. It's what I think is in the best interest of the team. I know you liked him, but we need to make a change. If If he is told ahead of time, to me that's enough consultation, I wasn't consulted, seems to imply that Rodgers felt like he should have had a say in who his quarterback's coach was. And I just wholly reject that notion. Rodgers is not in charge of the coaching staff. That is Mike McCarthy's job. And so he doesn't have a say for as great as he is. And he is. He doesn't have a say. Now, you, you should want him to be happy But he also, you know, he was bummed when Joe Philbin left. Joe Philbin is back. He was bummed when Ben McAdoo left. He got over it. These things happen. That is the business of the NFL. All Green Bay owed Aaron Rodgers was to have him not find out about this in the press. I would have loved to have known that. I would have loved to have that question be asked. Did they tell you ahead of time? Was there any conversation about this coaching staff? Did they talk to you about Joe Philbin coming back? This is not the vehicle for that. The old Mike and Mike vehicle, now it's it's Wingo and Golick or whatever, whatever the name of it is. This is um, basically a de facto advertising and PR arm of ESPN. And that's fine. But they don't do... You know, hard-hitting interviews, and it, I don't even think it would have been a hard-hitting question to just have simply asked, "Did they tell you this was going to happen?" and have you talked to Alex Van Pelt? Those are those are not hard questions to get to. I, I don't think this is something that needs to be over-dramatized. It is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, so I'm not going to make it one. But it's an interesting discussion to have, and again, I don't mean interesting in a passive-aggressive way. It is genuinely interesting. Um, and 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 that's just, it is what it is. He's unhappy. You would have expected that given the circumstances and given what went down. He liked Alex Van Pelt. His contract wasn't renewed. Now, what is, what is genuinely interesting? Now, if you look back at the McCarthy comments, he says this was decided a year ago. And if that's true, and if you look at now the, 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 what is followed, A year ago would have been when McCarthy would say, hey, let's rework this contract, let's re-up you, and we want you here long term. So if you're looking for reasons to believe Mike McCarthy and that this was a mutually agreed upon decision, then you can point to that and say, well, it is true that if they felt like he was a long term answer here or that he wanted to be here long term, that maybe... That could be a reason you could point to not re-upping the contract a year in advance because usually you don't want a coach playing out a lame duck season, even a, even a positional coach. You'd like to be able to say, we want you here, sign a two-year extension, sign a three-year extension. And maybe it's true that that Alex Van Pelt thought, well, I'm never going to get enough credit here with, with Coach McCarthy calling plays. And even though Joe Philbin got a head coaching job and Ben McAdoo got a head coaching job although he was an offensive coordinator first, uh, that my best route for success is to now go somewhere else, prove I can do this calling plays, and that's my route to becoming a head coach. All of that said, you'd think if Rodgers and Van Pelt were as close as it seemed they were, and as close as Rodgers is making it seem like they were, then you'd think this would have all been discussed and that Rodgers would have been up to speed and that Rodgers would know that Van Pelt was interested in doing these other things and therefore would not be miffed that he wasn't back so we don't know the truth of of any of this and it just it, it is what it is so it's not a huge story i don't think it's something that that packer fans should be particularly worried about but it is something that is worth talking about if there's drama with the face of the franchise, it has to be discussed and we're always going to make sure that that we do that as best we can. The big game is here and it's time to cash in big and bet the game at mybookie.ag. If you haven't checked them out, this is the perfect weekend to get into the action. Have a hunch on who's going to win the coin toss or what color Gatorade the winning coach will be wearing. Log on now. Check out the props and get in on the action. Don't just watch the game. Lay down some money and be a part of it. Join me and thousands of online players and start betting at mybookie.ag. It's players have the fastest payouts in the business when they win and I would only recommend a service to our listeners that I believe in. Go to mybookie.ag because when you play you win, and you get paid. If you sign up today, you, you can get an instant 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's right. If you join with $100, you'll have $150 right off the bat to play with. Just use the promo code On at deposit. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid.
0: David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings Good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power-packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit Dave'sKillerBread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store.
3: Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better.
1: There was one other little nugget of info that that came out this week that I thought was interesting. And that was Bob McGinn reported that John Dorsey, had the Packers called, would have taken the Packers' GM job. And the Packers didn't call. Now, what's interesting about this to me is Bob McGinn, when he was at the Journal Sentinel, reported the Packers' number one pick to succeed Ted Thompson at GM was John Dorsey. And John Dorsey at the time was still the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs. We didn't know that he was going to be ousted. And so this was, it was interesting reporting. Over the course of the last 18 months or so, I was told that that was coming from the Dorsey camp and not necessarily Mark Murphy's thinking at the time. Now, that doesn't mean that it it wasn't true when it was reported. I'm just telling you what I was told by people who know things. And that jives now with, with what happened. Because McGinn is now reporting that Dorsey would have taken the job if offered. It clearly was not offered. Now, it would have had to be offered during the season, McGinn, in that piece... Bombing in football, remember the site? You can go and sign up. I encourage you to do that. There's great content there. That this decision to move on from Ted Thompson was, as was previously reported, made during the season. And so if that's the case, during the season, John Dorsey was unemployed. The Packers could have called and said, hey, John, we want you to take over. If he was, in fact, their number one option to replace Thompson, that's a no-brainer. He's unemployed. Call him. He's in. Done over so clearly there was some disconnect there it gives credence to me to the idea that Dorsey was never Mark Murphy's number one pick that John Dorsey wanted to come back to Green Bay to be the GM and and maybe he wanted out in Kansas City when those reports came out originally clearly there was a disconnect between him and management there that's why eventually you, you get rid of a successful GM. There's friction. There is a, a disagreement on direction. There's, you know, a myriad options here for why that could go south. Obviously, John Dorsey has a job now. He's hired multiple Packers front office people to Cleveland. And he, he would have been the Packers GM if they had wanted him to be. They didn't. I mean, clearly the signs say that they didn't. Mark Murphy clearly feels comfortable with with Brian Gutekinst. I think he, he there's all the reason in the world to to believe that that's a smart thing. Whether he was the best candidate out there, whether they should have pushed harder, or whether they should have explored the possibility during the season of bringing John Dorsey back, or whether they should have pushed a little bit harder for John Schneider, I think those are those are reasonable conversations that you could be having. But clearly. I think Dorsey was never really a viable candidate for this job. And I think part of that is because the Packers wanted to go a little bit younger. They wanted to promote from within. I think that sets a good precedent, promoting from within. You were if you work here, if you work hard, you can be the next GM. They hired Ron Wolf, and Ron Wolf hired Ted Thompson. Ron Wolf hired Brian Gutekunst. But he's been in this organization. He worked his way up. Green Bay is the kind of place that needs to reward that kind of loyalty and work ethic because once Aaron Rodgers is no longer with the team, it's going to be harder to attract top-end talent. They're going to have to keep this pipeline of, of scouting people in the building and they're going to have to use their wits a little bit more because they're not going to be a free agent destination in the same way unless they can hit on the next Aaron Rodgers I mean, going from Favre to Rodgers is pretty much unprecedented. Even if you, you know, Montana to Young is is one example. The Colts went from Manning to Luck, but only because Manning got hurt and they got the number one pick. I'm sure Packer fans would not like that to be the succession plan in Green Bay. So thinking that you can go from Favre to Rodgers to the next Rodgers is is pretty unlikely. So they're going to have to keep this infrastructure intact. I think there is some sort of fringe benefit to promoting from within as a part of building this culture. You want to reward those people because again, you're going to lose talent when you have a talented front office. That's why Reggie McKenzie left. That's why John Dorsey left. That's why John Schneider left. That's why Elliot Wolf left. That's why Lonzo Highsmith left. The Packers very clearly have had the best front office infrastructure in the league for 15 years. I mean no, no, GM tree looks like Ron Wolf's, and if you want to just even zero in closer, Ted Thompson's. So that's something that that exists. It's information that's out there. I don't know whether to believe it's good or bad. I don't think the Packers erred in not bringing in John Dorsey, but we're going to see, given the quality of Brian Gutekunst's career. And I and I just I caution you to to jump to conclusions in year one. Please don't jump to conclusions in one off season. Or one year, because Ted Thompson was very passive that first year. The second year was when he got aggressive. That's when he signed Charles Woodson, Ryan Pickett. He got a little bit more aggressive, and then that that aggression has waned over the past few years. Before we get to the Super Bowl preview, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That gets you access to player grades, tools, charts, all sorts of information that I use on this show, that I use in my writing, that you can only get behind the paywall. Get behind that paywall by putting your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes and winning our contest. It's a $39.99 value, and all you need to do to enter is put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast. It couldn't be easier.
3: This episode is brought to you by Philips One by Sonicare. One-up your brushing with Philips One. This one is the ideal one for those who are still using an old-school manual toothbrush. To all those people, it's time to take your brushing one level up. The solution is a simple one. It's the perfect timing one. It's the long-lasting battery-powered or USB rechargeable one. That comes in multiple colors to match you one. The one with a subscription that delivers new brush heads for just $5. Your teeth deserve this one. Philips One by Sonicare. One-up your brushing. Learn more at philips.com one. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S dot com slash O-N-E.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shell. This is a bit from a crossover show that the Locked On Eagles and Locked On Patriots guys did. It is wonderful insight on how the Eagles are going to need to slow down Rob Gronkowski and how the Patriots are going to have to deal with the Eagles front four pressure and front seven pressure. Here it is.
2: There's one big factor for me. And if this factor doesn't happen to the extent that it needs to happen, I don't think the Eagles have a chance at slowing the Patriots passing offense and Tom Brady down. It comes down to pressure. Okay, so when you look back at what the Patriots were able to do against the Falcons last year, everybody knows it, 28-3. to 3. On the way to 28-3, to 3, the Falcons were pressuring Tom Brady at a 44% rate. After that, only at a 30% rate. You look back to the Giants-Patriots Super Bowl when they were able to get to Tom Brady a lot, they pressured him right at around 40%. The Eagles pressured quarterbacks at 41%. They pressured Case Keenum 27 out of 50 times. What is going to help the Patriots as far as slowing down the pass rush? Because this is this is a pass rush that isn't fancy. I mean, every now and then we'll throw in a stunt. We like, you know, blitzing from cover zero on third down and in the red zone and, and all that good stuff. But this is a team that I feel unlike the Patriots can line up for and just straight up get after it. And that's kind of how you have to beat the Patriots. You can't be like the Steelers and blitz three and sit back with eight in the zone because Tom Brady's going to have all the time in the world and he's going to carve you apart. You can't blitz six. He's going to pick that apart too. You got to be able to get pressure with four. You have to get there consistently and you have to force him to get the ball out of his hands quickly and really muddy that first read for him. What will the Patriots try to do to either aid their lineman or via lineman or chip or, or whatever the case may be because they have to do something. The Eagles are coming with that defensive line what are they what are they going to do
4: Sam Monson over at PFF pro, pro Football Focus average this is a tweet that he put out today average NFL passer rating this year is 87 Yeah Tom Brady's passer rating under pressure this year 96.6 oh. so Brady is under pressure 10 points higher than the average quarterback is on any given down any situation so nonsense. you can get <laughs> pressure on him but he's still very, very good and better than the average quarterback in the right. NFL. Even in those situations, the thing that sets up well for the Patriots, I think, is we know Schwartz, we know the wide nine, we know the alignment. You get those guys outside, you use speed off the edge. Eagles have such great depth this year up front as well. You get Barnett, you got Lawn, you get guys you can rotate in and out for us. Yeah. If the Patriots can stay sort of in plus situations, third and three and things like that, I think they're going to be okay. Because that wide nine, the way it sets up, it allows Brady space to sort of step up in the pocket, which is what he does. He's not a guy that's going to bail. He's not going to exit the back door either way. Mm -hmm. The worry for me is this. If we get into sort of third and eight situations where they can bring their more speed package, where they kick Graham down inside – Matchup to me that I'm worried about is Graham on Joe Thune, the left guard for the Patriots. He's had some protection problems this year. He's given up some sacks. If we see third and eight and Graham over the left guard, that's where I think the Patriots are going to get into trouble because Thune's not going to be able to block him, I don't think, sitting here right now. And that's how they're going to get that quick interior pressure. Plus, when they do blitz, and you guys know this well, Schwartz likes to go cross dog up the A-gaps. And that's, you know, if there is that sort of playbook on how to stop Brady, it's quick interior pressure up both A-gaps. That's what Schwartz likes to do. With the Patriots
2: offense, obviously a big feature is going to be Rob Gronkowski and how the Eagles are going to cover him. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins is probably going to be the guy to follow him around. Let our listeners kind of know how the Patriots deploy him, where they line him up, uh, how, what type of routes they want to utilize him on and how he kind of affects the entire offense.
4: The main issue is they'll use him anywhere. You know, they'll go Y ISO with them, isolate them, try to get you to sort of tip your hand coverage wise, whether you run a linebacker out there, whether you run a corner out there, show man versus zone pre snap. They'll put them in line. They'll put them in the win. They'll put them in the slot. They will put them anywhere on the field and they'll use them on a variety of routes. Obviously, against the Jim Schwartz defense, you're going to see a lot of single high looks, cover one, cover three. They're going to try to get them up the seams. They're going to try to bracket the safety, whoever that is. Maybe it's Jenkins in those zone coverage looks. Try to get them up the seam on those. They like to use them on wide cross. They'll do a ton of stuff with that as well. You know, red zone fades. They'll pretty much use them in anything. And the thing that I'm interested to see this week is if if Philadelphia can do what the Jets did in week 17, where you got linebacker, safety, bracket coverage on him, and then pay man across the board. Mm. If they can slow Gronkowski down that way then they're going to have a really good shot at slowing down this offense. When I look at this Eagles roster, and seriously, guys, correctly if I'm wrong, but I don't see somebody that I can just point to and say, just put him on Gronkowski. He's going to slow him down. There are a few people on the planet Earth that can do right. that. But I think bracket coverage, linebacker safety over the top, the Jets held Gronkowski without a target at Week 17. Part of that might be designed because you don't want to get him hurt at Week 17, but still, that's an eye-popping statistic. And so that could be my expectation. Linebacker safety over the top, bracket him that way.
5: Yeah, what I would love to see, and I don't think Philadelphia will do it because they always put Jenkins over tight ends. And I think Jenkins, who has some success against tight ends, I agree with you, isn't a Gronk eliminator. He's not a Gronk racer. I think that Gronk will handily win that matchup. They play Jenkins down at the Sam. They play him over the strength, usually defined by the 10. And for that reason, I'd love to see Nigel Bradham be able to sink underneath Gronk. I would like to see Bradham. He typically plays more of the Sam when they have Jordan Hicks. But because he's injured, he's moved to the middle a lot because they have to keep Kendricks at will because Kendricks can't take on blockers at all which is one of the big liabilities on this defense. And the Eagles listeners know a lot about that. I'd love to see Bradham on Gronk because like you talked about with that bracket coverage, you you move Malcolm Jenkins around, you let him cover the slot wide receivers, which is the other unspoken big issue that that you kind of get with this this, uh, New England passing attack. But if you get Bradham, he's excellent. Bradham is instinctually as a cover man. He's one of the best cover linebackers in the NFL. He does an excellent job. Uh, sniffing out play action, understanding releases very well, and he understands how to drop into his short zones to affect throwing lanes really, really well. Right, And that's one of his great strengths. If you put him underneath a Gronk route, I think that's where he's the strongest as far as his coverage goes. That's what I'd love to see. I don't think they'll do it very often. The only way I think they get there is if slot wide receivers are killing the Eagles, which actually brings me to my next question. Uh, The the game plan for the Pats coming in against the Jaguars, we kind of thought was going to be keep a lot of uh, tight ends and backs on the field, keep their linebackers on the field and then attack the linebackers in coverage. That's what we expected going in. That's kind of what we saw. A lot of slot wide receivers lined up on Jacksonville linebackers. Pats took advantage of that mismatch. Given that the Jaguars and the Eagles have a similar weakness at middle linebacker, Paul Posluszny for the uh, for the Jags and then Danelle Ellerbee for the Eagles, do you anticipate a similar matchup coming in, a similar game plan, a lot of twenty-one, a lot of twelve personnel trying to keep three backers on the field at all times?
4: Yeah, I, I do, and I'll get to that in one quick second. But I do want to mention back in 2014, Pats played the Bills in the regular season twice, obviously against a Jim oh, Schwartz. Yeah, and you know, in, in the first game, Gronkowski went nine targets seven receptions for 94 yards and a lot of 33. And I've looked at that briefly, and it did look like they used Bradham at times, you know, in kind of that situation on Gronkowski. I haven't fully charted that game out yet. I'm not done quite doing it, but yeah, I I would start by looking back at that game back from October, 2014 to try to get a sense of what Schwartz might do against Gronkowski. Now to the other question, you know, what's been interesting working through this postseason is seeing how the Patriots have gotten a little bit of an advantage because They've basically gotten, you know, similar type looks on both sides of the football from some of the teams they played. And to your point, Ben, it's the similar sort of situation. You've, last week, you're facing Ramsey and Bouillet, two sort of lockdown type corners. DVOA, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars were one and eight in terms of versus number one and number two wide receivers. And the numbers are the same. It's basically two and seven this week between numbers one and two in terms of wide receivers. Obvious subjective component of that, but still. But now it, it's the same thing against, you know, number three receivers, Eagles a little bit weak against tight ends, against running backs, Eagles a little bit weak. So I'm expecting, yeah, I'm expecting games from Amandola when they go 11. That's where they're going to look. I'm expecting a lot of maybe 21, 12 personnel. I'm even expecting some 13 personnel of the Ooh. Patriots try to run the ball because what there's stuff you could do schematically <laughs> with three tight end sets against the Eagles in that wide nine in the run game. So that's stuff that I'm looking for.
1: All right, I hope you guys found that enlightening I hope you found it useful and helpful I know I did it is uh, it is great to to get the perspective of other people look I have my own feelings about how this game is going to go and the more I look at it the more I think the Eagles have a really good chance the more I think the Eagles are going to win I have a hard time picking against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick but this defense for Philadelphia is almost as good as the Jaguars defense was and the offense is much better I don't think they need great Nick Foles to win. I think they can win with just mediocre Nick Foles. And I think the Patriots have to play a near-perfect game to win. So I think Doug Peterson is an excellent coach. I think he's proven that. I think John DiFilippo is an excellent coach. I think they have a very good offensive staff. They're going to put Nick Foles in positions to do well. And this Patriots defense just isn't very good. And they should have lost to Jacksonville. I think the Eagles are objectively a much better football team than the Jaguars were, and this is the most talented roster in football. The Patriots might not even be in the top five or ten. So, if the only argument you have is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, that's a pretty good argument. But I think, especially if this were Carson Wentz in this game, I think the line should be Eagles minus six or something like that. I really do, because they're and if Jason Peters is healthy, even more so but I like the Eagles in this game. I think it's gonna be a close game. And I'm gonna, if I pick the Eagles, I'm gonna feel dumb when the Patriots are up 14 to three in the second quarter or something like that. But I I just don't see that happening. So this is where I am. Uh, It's how I feel. And I'm not gonna make a pick. I'm just saying I really like the Eagles in this game. We'll be back next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And we'll be able to talk about the game and where the Packers go from here. As we get closer to the combine, we're going to talk about some players that the Packers could use to move forward to be in this game next year. Aaron Rodgers in that ESPN interview talked about getting back to playing championship-level defense. They need to add some players to do that. So we're going to talk about that and a lot more, which means you need to stay locked on, Packers.